Herbert Hoover had an image problem. It was 1932, and the Republican president was vying for re-election. He was facing a serious uphill battle. Not only was he facing off against popular Democrat Franklin D. Roosevelt, but he was the sitting president when the Great Depression swept the nation to disastrous effect. When the stock market crashed in 1929, Hoover attempted to combat the fall and wound up just making things worse. The economic collapse worsened year after year, with banks falling out from underneath and unemployment skyrocketing to 23% by the end of his presidency. People were living on the streets, and Hoover was doing close to nothing about it. Political opponents began to notice this and capitalized on the image. Hoover didn't care for the poor. The camps where unhoused citizens lived became known as Hoovervilles, and his name became universally associated with poverty and poor living conditions. Whether it was truly Hoover's fault didn't matter anymore. The man's name was now permanently affixed to one of the darkest eras in American history. When Hoover was first running in 1928, his party ran an ad in the New York Times. It ran on an idea that the Republican Party was built to support the lives of every individual person, ensuring that the American system was built to give everyone an opportunity. Calvin Coolidge, another Republican, was the president before Hoover, and in an ad, they state that his eight years of presidency was the peak of Republican success. The everyman was secure if they voted for the Republicans. The ad reads, quote, Republican prosperity has reduced hours and increased earning capacity, silenced discontent, and put a proverbial chicken in every pot, and a car in every backyard to boot. End quote. With a post-war bump of prosperity throughout the 20s, the Republican leadership had a lot to be proud of. The confidence in this ad almost feels warranted. Within a year, however, the stock market crashes and the end of poverty was no longer on the table. Now, you may have noticed a phrase in that quote, a chicken for every pot. That phrase originates in the 17th century when France's King Henry IV wished for a chicken for every pot on Sunday for his peasants. In 1932, the Democrats used that phrase as a silver bullet against the Republican campaign. The phrase, a chicken for every pot, suddenly became an ironic and cruel message. Democrats had a lot to run on now. They had FDR, they had Hoover's failures, and they had a chicken in every pot. Soon, the phrase entered the lexicon among all of Hoover's critics. Just as Hoovervilles became the term for unhoused camps, and Hoover leather became a term for poorly made clothes, so too did a new and disturbing phrase enter the consciousness. The Hoover chicken. As a spurn against a chicken in every pot, folks started dubbing a very unusual food as the poorest kind of meat anyone can eat. The Hoover chicken was the gopher tortoise. Eaten often throughout the South, gopher tortoise was the sort of last ditch meal that people would eat when they couldn't afford basic chicken or beef. You could just crack the shell of the tortoise hiding in the woods and eat their meat instead. Luckily, it's illegal to eat gopher tortoise now. They faced mortal danger when they were still on the menu as the Hoover chicken, but they've made a comeback. These strange little reptiles still find themselves an unusual situation. They're not only a protected species, the state reptile of Georgia and the state tortoise of Florida, but they're also considered one of the single most important animals in the entirety of the Florida ecosystem.
I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This week, the gopher tortoise, their homes and habits, and the fascinating way that these little animals can leave a huge impact. I almost ran over a turtle. The turnpike puts up many signs to warn you that you've passed into a wildlife area to be aware of the animals crossing the highway, and yet there I still went, ignorantly hurtling my car 70 miles an hour down the asphalt. The little turtle with a black rounded shell had just skittered off the road, safely arriving at the grass. He trucked his little reptilian feet faster than I had ever seen. I breathed a sigh of relief knowing that the little guy was safe, for now. Soon I was off that turnpike in a quiet segment of the Atlantic coast, south of Stewart, north of Jupiter. Within a few miles of each other there are three state parks, Sea Branch Preserve, Jonathan Dickinson, and Atlantic Ridge Preserve. I was heading to the first, Sea Branch Preserve State Park, which is a series of winding hiking and biking paths through the pine scrublands. You can see many animals, including bobcats and snakes, and most importantly, gopher tortoises. With a bandana as a face mask, I passed into the park in search of my underground friends. In 1791, in a book elaborately titled Travels Through North and South Carolina, Georgia, East and West Florida, William Bartram introduced the naturalist community to the gopher tortoise. William Bartram was an American naturalist who, taking after his father, traveled across the United States identifying birds, plants, flowers, and animals that the European colonizers hadn't seen before. When he was a younger man, he tried to open a plantation near present-day Jacksonville and failed. He didn't return to Florida until 1774, when he began his expedition. Heading southwest from the St. Johns River, he sought out to catalog all he saw. He saw many, many snakes, and described them in detail. He saw the brown pelican, the snowy egret, and our friend the sandhill crane. Then, in June of 1774, as he set up camp at Cowpen Lake, east of present-day Gainesville, Bartram recorded a scientific description of an animal no European explorer had described before, the gopher tortoise. Bartram described that tortoise as a small shelled reptile that lived on the land and burrowed itself safely to lay its eggs. Because of its habit for burying itself below ground, he named it after the famous burrowing rodent, the gopher. Bartram gave it its first scientific name, Testudo polyphemus. Testudo refers to it being a tortoise, and Polyphemus is a reference to the Greek mythological character of the same name. Polyphemus, in myth, was a cyclops who lived in a cave, thus giving the tortoise its subterranean moniker. The Polyphemus name actually stuck to the present day. The scientific name of the gopher tortoise now is Gopherus Polyphemus. The gopher tortoise has short, stubby legs a small round head, and a squat patterned shell with geometric or circular shapes along the back. They have a hilarious angry expression on their face with a deep frown and squinted eyes. They average around a foot in length and often have a brownish greenish coloring to them. 
They eat plants, including fruits and legumes, but will eat mostly whatever foliage they encounter. Since they are tortoises, their huge domed back is their most defining trait. Back when Bartram first saw them, he estimated that any gopher tortoise could carry a man standing on its back. Now, I don't know if you know this, but that is not true at all. Bartram was not exactly an expert on gopher tortoises. For that, we can turn to Dr. Stephen Whitfield. My name is Stephen Whitfield. I'm a conservation biologist at Zoo Miami. I've always liked working with animals, working to help nature, and trying to solve problems. And conservation biology is a great field for all of that. It, unfortunately, it's a, it's a field with lots of problems that need to be solved. But the problems are fun to work on because they involve working in nature and working for making the world a better place. Five years ago, Dr. Whitfield joined this program after having spent several years studying rainforest frogs in Central America. Now, he would head up this gopher tortoise program. We have tortoises that you can actually see in, um, in our exhibits at Zoo Miami. But Zoo Miami is also really interesting because we have a, an ecological reserve surrounding the zoo that's a critically endangered habitat called the Pine Rockland. This is basically restricted to where Miami is now. Almost all of the habitat has been gone, but there's an area of protected habitat surrounding Zoo Miami, and we do have gopher tortoises there. And that's one of the kind of very few populations in kind of nested within Miami still. And they don't just live in the pine rocklands of Miami. These tortoises have a surprisingly large range. They live throughout the American South, covering parts of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina, as well as nearly all of Florida except the Everglades. They live throughout Florida in kind of what we think of as upland habitats. So they don't live in flooded places like the Everglades or the swamps. They need dry land so that they can dig burrows. Of the five tortoise species in North America, the gopher tortoise is the only tortoise species east of the Mississippi. But what makes them really unique is their particular habitats. Though they live across Florida's ecosystems, they require land in which they can build their burrows. A gopher tortoise burrow is actually what I was looking for when I brought myself out to Sea Branch Preserve State Park. Wild animals are really hard to predict, and standing in the heat waiting for a tortoise to wander into your path is a fool's errand. Nevertheless, hopeful that today may be my tortoise day, I stepped off the wide sandy pathways and started traveling the marked side trails of the preserve deep into the brush. This is a great idea in theory, but I soon learned how rugged these paths were. They were very natural trails, not your typical maintained path. Trees had fallen, the brush pushed in from either side, and at many points, I found myself standing next to a massive flooded spot of land that was totally impassable. At one point, I climbed onto a high spot and considered jumping with all my might over a 10-foot wide pool of water, but muddy shoes on a two-hour drive home was the eventuality of that decision, and I decided to head back to dry land and clearer paths. The sandy route turned out to be the better option because soon enough, I looked off the trail and saw low domes of rising land with sand, dirt, and grass. That was a burrow. Hoping to not cause a disturbance, I stuck to my path, but I peered over the brush from a distance, no doubt in my mind. Nearby, there was a tortoise. 
one of the things that's great about the gopher tortoises is that they dig these deep burrows. In some places, they're up to 30 feet long. Gopher tortoises prefer dry land with soil they can dig into, specifically places like flatwoods, prairies, or dunes. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission says that the gopher tortoise spends about 80% of its time in their burrows. The tortoises use them to maintain their body temperature throughout the year. They do not dwell in colder weather, so the warmth they get in the burrows is essential for their survival. You can survey for the burrows, but it's not always easy to find the burrows if the vegetation is really thick. But we've been doing burrow surveys in natural areas through the Miami area, and we have a really cool tool called a burrow scope, which is basically a, like a, a giant endoscopic camera. No way. So, yeah. It's about 20 feet long, and so when we find a, uh, a tortoise burrow, we stick the burrow camera down in and we can actually see if there's tortoises down in the burrow. And as if the gopher tortoise wasn't fascinating enough, what brings them even more intrigue is that they are not the only animal that lives within their burrow. In fact, so many animals take up residence within the tunnels that these creatures dig that they have earned themselves the rank of a keystone species. This means that the ecosystem around them would face critical collapse without their presence. And the burrows are used by uh, hundreds of other species. There have been, I think, 300 species of animals that have been found using the burrows of gopher tortoises. And some of those species only live in tortoise burrows. They live nowhere else on the planet. The visiting creatures are called commensals, meaning they have a symbiotic relationship with another species. Commensal is an ecological term for an animal that kind of uses the space created by another animal, but doesn't, you know, negatively affect it. So the most familiar commensals we know are, you know, pet cats or dogs, right? There's a lot of commensal species that we think of associated with humans, things like pigeons, you know, that live in human environments. Um, but tortoises have lots of them. Snakes love tortoise burrows, both rattlesnakes and coachwhip snakes, indigo snakes, which are an endangered species, like the tortoise burrows, and there's a species called the gopher frog, which, as you might imagine, is, is highly dependent on the gopher tortoise burrows. For the gopher frogs, the uh, association with the tortoise burrows is so strong that as tortoises have become threatened, the gopher frogs are threatened as well. So if you're a species that depends on a threatened species, ecologically, that's a, a tight place to be in. There are lots of different invertebrates beetles and flies, things like that, that will use tortoise burrows. And like the gopher frog, there are many of these insects that only live in the tortoise burrows and occur nowhere else in the world. It is estimated that 350 species are dependent on the gopher tortoise and their burrows to survive. These animals sleep in the burrows, eat in the burrows, and all around benefit from the existence of the burrows. Most of them are insects like beetles or moths. You can also find frogs, mice, and snakes using the burrows for their own survival. Without the tortoises, their whole world collapses in more ways than we can imagine. There would be kind of a cask an ecological cascade of effects um, where we lose additional species. Some of them would probably disappear entirely and some of them would become less common in places where they are common now. We know tortoises create these burrows. They also have other important effects. As they move around the ecosystem, they're eating plants and seeds. 
and they spread them through um, through pooping them out, and that kind of helps. Uh, it actually changes the plant community in places where the tortoises live. So I kind of think of the tortoises like as like gardeners in an ecosystem. Um, just by choosing the plants that they do, they have an impact on what grows there. Wow. So they are really important for ecosystems. Uh, <laughs> I always love when we get to, when I get to the point where I'm talking to a, a, a zoologist or a biologist and we start talking about the animal poop. It's my favorite part. Oh yeah, of it, every it, always come, it, always, it always comes back to poop. All kidding aside, can you imagine a world where an animal like that could just disappear overnight? An animal that not only has its own value as a species, but also spreads seeds in the ecosystem and protects hundreds of other codependent species? We are lucky that they are protected the way they are. And they are protected. Dr. Catherine Gentry is the Gopher Tortoise Program Coordinator for the FWC as of February of this year. A few weeks ago, she shared with me some of the ways the tortoises are protected and the ways protections are growing. The FWC has a huge program devoted specifically to protecting the tortoises. Dr. Gentry's department is actually in the middle of a big project right now. They're amending their protection plan right now to add more ways to keep the tortoises safe. Tortoise protection in Florida has been amended many times over the last five decades. The tortoise was first protected in Florida in 1972 as a response to a noticeable decline in wild tortoise population. There were many reasons for this, development of land for one, and the fact that tortoises were still being eaten. Another odd reason was an uptick in gopher tortoise racing around the state. According to the Panama City News Herald, folks around the panhandle started holding gopher tortoise races as fundraisers. People would grab the shelled critter, give them a racing name, then put them into races. These were happening across the state, including at the Rattlesnake Festival in Pasco County. In 1988, when the tortoise went from being regulated to being officially protected, this practice ended. Now, in many places where gopher tortoise races were once taking place, now you can race wooden tortoises. When they were kicked up to threatened status in 2007, a management plan was created that not only protected the tortoises, but also managed and cared for their burrows. So not only were the animals protected under targeted guidelines, but there were also now specific rules concerning land where burrows were found. If someone wants to relocate or demolish a burrow, they have to follow certain state-mandated restrictions. They are always seeking to improve the ways that the tortoises are protected in order to help them survive and prosper. The tortoises are protected by law in Florida. The presence of tortoises won't stop development, but the tortoises have to be removed before, uh, before development occurs. This is kind of a, a relatively recent change. Years ago, before the tortoises were protected, people were allowed to build over tortoises what ended up happening is the tortoises were trapped in their burrows underneath construction oh. and they would slowly suffocate. So the protection is designed to prevent that from happening. Tortoises must be removed from their burrows and moved to a new safe place. Keeping them safe is about being vigilant ourselves. They spread far and Dr. Whitfield shares that it's hard to even determine how many there are in any given area, especially Miami where the tortoises still live despite development. I was very surprised to see that there were tortoise populations here in Miami. 
it's, it's typical to think that cities are not good places for wildlife, but we actually do have in, in kind of parks and protected areas through the city, there are a few places where these tortoises are, are surviving. And while all the habitat around them has disappeared, they survive in these small parks. And so this kind of blew me away that these tortoises were actually still living down here in Miami. So one of our kind of first steps is just to count how many tortoises there are. So we're trying to get a number of how many tortoises there are, find out how many places they live, so we can kind of design conservation programs better. It's about adapting the program to fit to an animal that is itself adapting to its surroundings at all times. Which reminds me, I finally found a gopher tortoise. And not really where I was expecting. I wasn't at the Sea Branch Preserve State Park when I found him. I was nearly 200 miles away, taking a hike along the Land Bridge Trail, just west of the Ocala National Forest. I was working on a totally different story, and gopher tortoises were the last thing on my mind. I hadn't seen any animals all day save for the horses and cows that populate the farms of Flagler, Marion, Citrus, and Lake County. I was headed back to my car after a long day of research when a lump on the ground caught my attention. The tortoise was right off the sidewalk, aggressively snapping away at the grass. He would eat maybe 20 blades of grass in quick succession, hold them in his mouth, and then breathe a very heavy sigh. I stood by his side for 10 minutes, dazzled, like a celebrity. I rarely get to see the animals that I write about in their native habitats. Because you can't predict wild animals. They appear when they want to appear, never when you're looking. Which is why when I found him there, after a long day of travel, I was grateful. I stood by for too long and he suddenly froze, casting a dark eye in my direction. I had invaded his space for too long. We left each other in the early summer heat. I found myself starstruck for the rest of the afternoon. I know. It's a tortoise, but there's something about this animal that really strikes me as special. You know, we have some amazing animals in our state. We have wide-roaming black bears and isolationist panthers and brooding alligators and vibrant, beautiful tropical birds. And while no animal is more important than the other, they all make up the tapestry of our ecosystem. Something about the humble gopher tortoise feels uniquely aspirational. Dr. Stephen Whitfield articulates the same feeling. You know, I think um, as a human, it's easy to see ways humans impact ecosystems and our kind of effect is to reduce habitat for other species. And I find the gopher tortoises inspiring because their kind of way of life is creating habitat for other species through digging their burrows. And I just think that's really cool and something that humans should live up to. Gopher tortoises build environments that protect everyone around them. Gopher tortoises spread nature to the world and help it grow. Gopher tortoises spread far and wide. They adapt, and without a second thought, they make the world a better place just because they were around. Leaving their home better is just what they do. So it's with that in mind that I tell you this. When the world is scary and it feels like there are dangers all around, be a gopher tortoise.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. I'm so glad that you are here. If you're brand new to this show, or even if this is your first episode, welcome. There are some really amazing stories waiting for you. If you're looking for a good place to jump in, you don't need to go all the way back to the beginning. I would recommend you check out an episode featuring Dr. Whitfield's colleague, Dr. Frank Ridgely, who I interviewed last October about the Florida bonneted bat. You are going to love that episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. It helps the show become more visible, and honestly, it brightens up my day. Sharing the show with a friend of yours is another great way to ensure that this show grows. You can also find me and share the episode on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. If you want to send me a message, you can do so at WFMPod at gmail.com. I'm always looking for story ideas, and you can follow my personal Twitter at WFMNick. I look forward to hearing from you. I'd like to give a very special thank you to Dr. Stephen Whitfield. His work is vitally important and he shares a great way for you to support what he and his colleagues do. I will say that all of the work that I do is supported by Zoo Miami and you know that that support comes from people visiting zoos. So if you're interested in helping conservation, one of the things you can do is go to your local accredited zoo. Um, zoos that are accredited have requirements to invest in conservation funding. So just by going to a zoo visit for an accredited zoo, you're actually supporting field conservation campaigns like the one we were talking about today. I'd also like to thank Dr. Catherine Gentry, who is in charge of the Gopher Tortoise Program. If you'd like to read more about what the FWC is doing to protect these animals, you can do so at the link below. Thanks to Lauren Nix for artwork used on the social media channels. You can follow her on Instagram at lauren.nix.photo. Her last name, Nix, is spelled N-I-X. All the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find more of their fabulous music at the link below. Next week, an episode I am very excited about. It's a little bit about my family, but it's mostly about basketball and the ways that a city falls in love with the team. I will see you next Monday with that episode. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, wear a mask when you go outside, and please drink more water. Have a good week. <laughs>